This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 276, Client Spotlight, Real Estate Self-Syndication, with Philip Harris. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is not your average financial podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're with me. And I just love getting to do these client spotlight episodes. They are some of my favorite episodes of all time, mainly because I get to hear some creative ways that clients are using their policies, things that I would have never thought of myself. But honestly, as they make it clear to me what they're doing, it's just obvious. It's like hitting me upside the head with their strategies and ideas for using Bank on Yourself to their advantage. And today's guest is no different. His name is Philip Harris. I'll introduce him in just a minute. But I want to ask you first, there are sometimes you get into business with somebody and over time you just start to realize, whoa, wow, this is not what I expected. There's an old book titled, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. I just think that is so true when it comes to business partnerships. Everybody feels like a great idea to work with until you really get into business with them. So in some cases, it makes more sense to buy out your partners and keep more of the profits and margin for yourself. And in this case, Philip has done exactly that. Now, let me tell you a bit about Philip and why I think he's going to be a great uh, guest, and I can't wait to introduce him to you. Philip is a native of Texas. He's leveraged a BS in computer science and engineering and an MBA in finance into a corporate career of 25 years in computer engineering and support, as well as executive management. Now, retiring in 2013, he began pursuing a new career as a commercial real estate investor after studying under several mentors. Philip initially syndicated, so he brought in a bunch of partners, so he syndicated three multifamily deals, but has since chosen to pursue his fourth and soon-to-be fifth real estate deal using his own self-banking system and benefits now today from that approach. As you can see, he'll have a lot to share, a lot of wisdom about what can go right and wrong in the real estate space and how using Bank on Yourself has been able to allow him and his family to control his financial destiny and enjoy much of the benefits of real estate investing. So take it away, Philip. Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Mark. I'm glad to have you. I'm glad to spend this time with you. It's always a privilege to get to chat with you, Philip. You've always got thoughtful and I think wise insights into not only real estate, but just life in general. You and I met years ago, but you've gone into the real estate space even years before we met. So I want us to start right at the beginning. What was your first memory of real estate and real estate investing? When I was pursuing my MBA, I learned a number of things, mainly that I didn't know very much about finance, but commercial real estate caught my attention at that point, and it was already of interest to me. So my first real memory of real estate in an investor sense would be me and my wife going to look at some houses. We didn't see how we could get into commercial at the time. So we said, a lot of people are doing residential. Let's go look at some. We walked through a house that was up for sale. It was one that had been foreclosed on during the uh, 2008 real estate bubble bust. And we walked through it. We saw the damage that the person had done to it just in, I guess, in a retribution sort of a sense to the bank for foreclosing on them and thinking, okay, we 
how we would go about fixing this up. And then it just, it didn't feel right to us. And we just turned around and walked away and said, residential family is, is not what we're looking for. So we you know, just continued our search at that point. But that was my first memory really of real estate in, a, in an investor sense. Sometimes you know what you don't want before you figure out exactly what you do want. That's and true. tell us your background. I gave your bio before we started the interview here, but how did you get from where you began to where you are today? I kind of a nerdy guy. Of course, as a child, you know, we all have our kind of fantasies about what we want to do. I wanted to be a, a cowboy at first and then an astronaut. Those are things that usually don't work out for the majority of us. But going through high school, I had set my sights on becoming a scientist of some sort. Paleontologist is really what I wanted to do for most of my life. I wanted to go out and dig up dinosaur bones. And then, you know, your final year of high school, you get to sit down with the counselor and they start giving you some information. And I thought, oh, that's what a paleontologist makes. I can't have a family on that income. I need to choose something else. So computers was my backup choice. Computers had really just kind of become a thing. They were beginning to start teaching a little bit of it in the schools. So I went into a degree plan for computer science and engineering. It was a, a mixed degree. So I got both sides of it, both the programming and the, the hardware side of it, which was fascinating. I enjoyed it. And I ended up making a 25-year career out of that. Somewhere along the way, I was working for Levi Strauss at the time. And they said, we need someone to manage the group that you're in. And so I volunteered. I was always a little bit strange as a technical person. Most of us are seen as being antisocial and not wanting to deal with people. I actually enjoy dealing with people. So I said, yeah, I, I don't mind becoming a manager. So now I need to understand business, management, leadership, and all that sort of stuff. So I went back for an MBA. And I completed that. And I spent probably nine or so of the last years of my career managing IT departments at various levels. Also picked up for much about the same amount of time teaching at college at my time classes. Got some educational experience under my belt. It was something I was thinking, oh, maybe I might want to do that in retirement. But at the end of the last recession, I think we're calling it the Great Recession. Less great if I don't know how bad things are going to get this time around, but yes. <laughs> yep, that's true. But I had managed to maintain employment throughout most of it. But in 2012, I was working under contract at TNT. They had cut all of their contractors. And I just could not find anything else at the time. So I had a conversation with my wife and said, when I was working on that MBA, commercial real estate sure seemed of interest. Maybe we should start pursuing real estate and see if we can make that work, figure that out. Of course, we had some uh, non-starters like I alluded to earlier, but eventually found some mentors, some people that could teach me the real estate market and some other things. I learned a lot of really relevant and interesting things from these same people. And so in 2013, I began shopping for my first deal, which I secured in, I believe it was 2014. My mentors, of course, were teaching syndication. I syndicated at that point, that apartment complex and had two subsequently that were larger. So I got some experience under my belt and was really happy with my progress. But the one thing I really didn't like about it was the syndicating part. And that came back to the reason of being that I'm an introvert. Not shy. People sometimes equate being shy with being an introvert. They're not the same thing. Introverted versus extroverted is being a kind of a psychological term that's come out of that community. And all it means is where one gains their energy from. An extrovert gains their energy from interaction with other people, social settings. That powers them up, so to speak. An introvert, it's the exact opposite. That drains them. And so I was finding it very draining to be constantly interacting with my pool of investors. And on top of that, I, I, you know, I discovered some of them that weren't, shall we say, the most professional of people. 
And so I wasn't enjoying that very much. But fortunately, one of the last things I learned from my network of mentors was about infinite banking, which I wish had been the first thing I'd learned. It would have made, I think, a, a big direction in the trajectory that I went through in the course of my new career. But having learned about it, began to realize that to some degree, the benefits I was getting from syndicating, I could gain from using my own personal banking system. Not entirely, but enough to make it worthwhile so that I was getting those benefits and I would not have to continue to deal with the investor pool, especially those that were not professional and, and were causing troubles for the entire group. So really, if one wanted to become a syndicator, that the rationale for doing that is because the syndicator gets to take part of the profits off of the top. It's commonly 20, 25%, in some cases might even be more the way we were doing it was after the sale. Any cash flows were shared equitably, but once you actually entertain a sale or a refinance of a property, then one would distribute back everybody their original investments and whatever was left over was legitimate profit and the syndicator got to take his percentage off of the top. So I was taking 20%, I think, was what I was scheduled on my last deal that I syndicated. And I realized that by using a personal banking system, like you teach, that I can accomplish the same thing. Instead of taking some of the money off of the top of the deal and getting paid for my efforts and time and attention and so forth to the deal, instead, I could pursue a deal myself and just take out a loan for the down payment against one of my policies. And yet my money is still there in the policy, earning it, its fixed returns and any dividends that it might make along the way. So I call the, the fixed returns 5%. When you call the dividends 5%, that's 10%. 10% may not be 20%, but it's a heck of a lot better than nothing. And it's also substantially better than having to deal with people that are sapping all of your energy, demanding a lot of your time, potentially causing problems for the deal as well, to the point of even sinking the deal. So you went from syndicating to self-syndicating. I'm making up that phrase there, but you didn't just bank on yourself. You're now syndicating on yourself, or, or you might say that you are now your own syndication for yourself. And just to define terms for our audience, what is a syndication just at its basic level at what Real Estate 101? Syndication is where a person will pull together a group of investors in light of some sort of an investment or a deal he's found. In my case, it would be a real estate deal. I have been doing multifamily investments, so an apartment complex until I branch out into other things. I'll use that as an example. I find a, a multifamily deal that looks particularly interesting. It looks like it's got good returns. I visualize very well what I could do to this property to drive some net returns that would be favorable. First off, I would take that to the lender and make sure that the lender is interested in this. But then I would turn around to the pool of people that I know who are investors and make the deal available to them to look over. And any of them that are interested could then come forward with some money. So their investment, along with my investment, would be used for the down payment on the property. The lender would bring forward whatever mortgage that we needed to complete the deal. And there you go. You've got your team who has tackled and taken down this apartment complex. And as the syndicator, I also play the role of asset manager, which means I manage not the property itself. I'll engage a property management company to come in and handle staffing the front desk and interacting with the tenants, taking rents handing out notices, that sort of stuff. But I will oversee that organization just to make sure they're doing what I have, you know, have it in mind 
including filling up any vacancies, turning any units that need to be renovated, approving any major expenses, such as placement of whole air conditioning systems or a roof or something like that. So I have, as the syndicator slash asset manager, I, I put in a certain amount of work that the other members of the syndication don't do. They're just totally passive. And that's the reason why the syndicator gets a, a profit off the top. I see. And so as you're going through this process, I think back to caveman days where somebody's got to find the elephant, the woolly mammoth or whatever, and then you gather up the other cavemen and you guys all go out and you hunt and take down this big deal, right? Something more right. than what you might be able to do by yourself. And for your efforts, the relationship management, the financial management, and the hopefully sale and exit of that syndication deal at some point, you're paid on whatever profits and proceeds come from that. How did infinite banking or bank on yourself, how did it originally factor into this overall mindset of being a syndicator? What was it doing for you? What did it help you accomplish in the earlier years? Initially, my goals were just to use it as a lot of people probably use it. If I need to buy a car, I'll take out a loan against my own policy for that car. I'll pay the interest back to myself. Same thing for if I buy a new home, I need a mortgage. If I, I need to buy, I don't know, any sort of a significant purchase. I wasn't eyeballing any sort of a business activity that would have me buying significant equipment. And a lot of people probably use it for their farming business or long distance hauling business where you got to buy trucks, whatever. I wasn't looking at any sort of business activities like that, but I was aware that one could use it in that way. You've now told us why you decided to stop being a syndicator in the traditional sense. What came next after the syndications were sort of at an impasse and some of these relationships were making it tough for you? How did infinite banking or bank on yourself factor into what came next for you, your next chapter? Yeah, I, I realized that the benefits that underlie this system, which is the fact that you can loan or borrow money against your policies without actually removing the money from those policies. Therefore, the money that you borrowed, you can invest it somewhere, make a, some sort of return, and yet your money is still in the policy, still earning its fixed returns, potentially getting any dividends that it might get at the end of the year. That the same thing really mirrored what a person was doing as a syndicator. As a syndicator, I'm looking to put the least amount of my money into a deal, and yet because of the time and effort I put in, take a profit that's above and beyond what the rest of the investors will take. So it's very similar to having your money invested in two places at the same time. I leave it in the bank and yet I'm pulling it out of the deal. And so therefore mm -hmm. that mirroring the fact that here I'm pulling money out of a policy and yet the money's still in the policy earning an interest is kind of mirroring. So I looked at that from the perspective of can this replace syndicating? You know, it'd give me the same benefits. And I came to the determination that, yes, it, it, it could. Not 100%. If I'm taking 20% off of the top of a deal that I'm syndicating, maybe by borrowing money out of my policy, maybe I'll get 10% additional return on top of what I'm pulling out of the real estate asset that I've invested in. But for the additional benefit of not having to deal with a group of investors, not having to coordinate all of that, not having so much of my time spent in the reporting activities and encouraging those that were beginning to get cold feet or whatever, particularly dealing with those that were not, should not be in the real estate market because they don't know what they're doing or they don't know how to do it properly. That was a, a trade-off I was willing to make. I'm still getting some of the same benefits, but I'm also getting rid of some headaches. 
there's some cost to the headaches, as you say, you know, there's bank yeah. compliance with bank loan, there's uh, tax Absolutely. compliance, there's the time, your time is money. So the time you're spending on the phone, all of that is headaches and also time and money and energy and attention that now you can devote elsewhere. And all that has a rate of return associated with it. Now you're an engineer by trade. Yes. It's how boring to do whole life insurance. What was it about your engineering degree that actually helped you pursue whole life insurance as a part of your overall financial portfolio? I would say there's nothing wrong with quote unquote boring things. Boring things oftentimes are inherently necessary and beneficial. So that didn't prevent me from looking at it. But I think what really drove my interest in it went back to math. The, the very simple notion that we learn, I guess, in third, fourth, fifth grade, something like that, which is multiplication. Usually whenever you invest your money, you get a certain percent return and you add that money back to your capital pool or your cash that you're using to live on or whatever. But with using a whole life policy in the form of a personal bank, you're not just adding money, you're multiplying it. Because mm. the money that you take and invest, it's invested. It makes It's making you some sort of return, hopefully a good one. But it still remains as well in policy to gain the benefits of the policy, which includes a fixed return on an annual basis and a potential, though likely, dividend every year as well. So my money is invested in playing the game, not once, not twice, but three times. And mm -hmm. so that's a multiplicative factor that I found it very exciting, personally. Sure. Sometimes boring is exciting when you have the right frame of mind and see the real return on your otherwise expensive ways to invest. What I'm really struck by here, Philip, is you've got a real pathway that you've taken here. You started with looking at residential properties and you move into commercial real estate and you're having to bring in outside investors to bring a syndication together. And there's frustration with, rightfully so, people who are doing less than honorable things or trying to get you to do less than honorable things. So you move now to, I'm still just calling this self-syndication, where you're essentially the entire deal yourself and you're borrowing right. against your policies to buy those deals. And I think your ultimate goal was to help get the cash flow exceeding your wife's income so she can maybe come home and stop working. And even beyond that, maybe to get even bigger and bigger properties. Can you speak to that some? Where do you want to take this? Where left do you have to explore? As we stepped out of syndication and back into just approaching this ourselves, leveraging our personal bank, we did have to step back into smaller size property. My, my capital pool becomes limited. I can't turn now to 50 or 60 other people and say, hey, which of you would like to put $10,000 into this deal? I'm limited to what I have available. So that's why I did say, I need to grow my capital pool personally. And from a cash flow perspective, that obviously is his drop down bit as well. Sorry to interrupt you here, but by capital sure. pool, I'm going to go ahead and just define that. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a large part of your capital pool would be in these bank on yourself designed whole life dividend paying policies. That's sort of what you see as, if I'm correct, kind of your, your pool, your banking system, as it were. Yes, absolutely correct. All right. I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Go on. No, it's okay. But over the short term, we do have goals to replace my wife's income so that uh, our cash flow is not impacted by her retiring from her job if and when she chooses to. And I would like to diversify out into other commercial property types. When you start pursuing financial education and you go 
to some of these seminars, find mentors, whatever, they talk about passive income. And real estate in general is a type of passive income, but it's not truly passive. There are things to be done and various commercial property types will have their own variety or type of tasks where you have to be involved. And multifamily is, is no different. And you have to deal with air conditioners breaking and toilets breaking and roofs leaking and that sort of stuff. There's work that has to be done. You yourself may not be doing it, but have to oversee maybe the people are responsible for doing it, making sure that it's getting done in a timely manner and a cost-effective manner and so forth. Other property types may have less overhead than that, self-storage or mobile home or hotels, those sort of things. So I'm looking to diversify. But really, more to the point probably of what you and your audience might be interested in the self-banking concept, I'm interested in actually expanding and how I'm leveraging that as well. Because when I realized I could get rid of my syndicators by self-syndicating, as you're calling it, uh, I like that term. I also realized that as my capital pool grew sufficiently, I could reach a point to where, yes, I may have to, to do this to drop back down to a smaller size asset again, but I could eliminate the lender as well. The bank. So, the bank. Why turn to a group of syndicators to gain the down payment if I can handle that myself and gain similar benefits? Well, with enough cash, why turn to a lender to mortgage it whenever I could have my own bank mortgage it? There you go. I love it. And therefore, the mortgage, the payments, the interest, that's all expenses to my property right now, but that leaves my pocket to go to the bank's pocket will inevitably leave my pocket to go to my other pocket. Yeah. And I benefit from that. I love it. Philip, you're moving upstream financially. Out of just my own curiosity, is it something in your purview where you might become the banker for other borrowers, whether syndication folks or just individual mom and pop real estate investors opening up a, a little private lending shop, the Harris Family Bank, let's say? Uh, is that something that you see or, uh, or is not really in your purview? No, I would be interested in that. I've got some stuff to learn in that field, but it's certainly something that's on the table. Okay. Yeah. People can take these pools of capital, as you say, these bank on yourself designed whole life policies, as we call it, in lots of different directions. And, you know, there's no right or wrong pathway. It's your own personal life journey here. Philip, you've given us some really cool insights. And I think your mind and your heart and your personality, I think it just lends itself so well to the journey you've taken. It seems like from childhood on till today, you knew what you wanted, even if it changed over time, whether it's cowboy and a paleontologist or, or engineer or syndicator or now personal real estate investor, self-syndicator, whatever we want to call it. Uh, you get to be you, which is, I think, the best part of banking on yourself, emphasis on you there. So what would you tell to aspiring real estate investors and maybe even aspiring bank on yourselfers, if I can call us that? The best advice I could offer up would be just to keep an open mind and continue pursuing self-learning, continue educating yourself because it's easy to go to a particular mentor, a particular group and learn something, but inevitably they have their way of doing it and it will have its limitations. It will have times where it works well and times where it doesn't and so forth. And seeking information from other sources can sometimes really take something that they've offered that works really well, but then supercharging it. So yeah, keep an open mind. That's great. Yeah. Trying to combine new things together and old things in new ways can oftentimes spark some creative juices that can just take your financial life into the stratosphere. All right, Philip, what is prosperity to you? Define that word any way you want. What is prosperity? Oh, 
prosperity to me, I guess, means being able to do the things you want to do when you want to do them without having to worry about where the resources for doing that will come from. It's great. Yeah. Given that there's so many people tugging on your calendar, tugging on your pocketbook to have the ability to do what you want, when you want, without regard for the resources and the constraints, I think that's a great definition of prosperity and something we can be striving for. It's pretty cool. All right. So as we wrap up, how can folks learn more if they want to just lean on you a little bit, understand your perspective, get to know how you did what you did and are still doing? Philip, how can folks find you? Yeah, I'd be happy for them to contact me at either my business email address or my business phone number. Uh, that phone number is area code 817-733-1469. And business email address is philip with one L. There's only one L in Philip in this case. Underscore Harris at terrabonainc.com. And let me spell that. T-E-R-R-A-B-O-N-A-I-N-C.com. Awesome. Thanks, Philip. And we'll put that in the show notes for folks if they'd like to get in touch with Philip. Also, Philip is a member of the Not Your Average membership site, the Not Your Average financial community. And you can find us at notyouraverage.mn.co. That's another place we can continue the conversation. And we will put this episode and the notes of it in the membership site. So again, Philip, it's been a privilege. I met you years ago down in Texas, the promised land, as we call it. It's been great getting to work with you for these many years and for many years to come. Thank you. I have enjoyed it and I really appreciate everything that you've done for us. Thank you. Well, thank you, Philip, for coming on today and sharing so much of your wisdom and insights. There's a long litany of people who've been broken on the back of the real estate investor monster. And I hope that some people who've listened to the show today can take some of the nuggets of wisdom from Philip and avoid some of those nasty traps that uh, so many real estate investors get caught in. I think many times the deal could be bad, but also the partnerships can be bad too. And sometimes if you find the right deal and you've got big piles of contingency cash for opportunities, then you can take advantage of that deal uh, and not have to worry about dealing with people who you may or may not want to associate yourself with. So having the control and capacity through your own policy to take down deals, small or large, I think it certainly is worth exploring. Maybe you can't take down a commercial real estate deal just yet. Maybe you're still so early in your bank on yourself journey that even flipping cars would be difficult for you. But heck, maybe you could do something even smaller than that. I remember as a kid, my dad and I would buy really low-grade violins for just maybe 40 or 50 bucks. We'd put some new strings on them. We'd put some new oil on it and make it look great, make the sound beautiful. And then we'd sell it for a couple hundred dollars. Couldn't you do that with even just your cash flow, but maybe a small policy loan? Something as simple as that, where you're taking control and you're bringing back not just the banking function, but the business function in your life as well. So thank you, Philip, for this great insight, great ideas on how to become your own source of financing, but also how to help organize and syndicate your own deal with yourself. So thank you again, Philip, and thank you everybody for joining me this week. For some of the best, most creative ideas on the planet, stay tuned to our future episodes and don't forget to subscribe to our show, Not Your Average Financial Podcast, where we help you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. 
This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.